Welcome to the Italian Renaissance Podcast, where we discuss the culture and art of 15th and 16th century Italy. I'm your host, Lawrence Ginangeli. Andiamo avanti. Renaissance people, we have a juicy story for you all today, one that will conclude our direct treatment of Renaissance Venice and put it close to season two of the podcast. Our topic today is the painter by the name of Paolo Veronese. He is not necessarily the last great painter of the Renaissance Venice, but he is among those remaining that we have not discussed, and he is important. I particularly want to use him and his work to dive into a larger issue at hand in the period around what is known as the Counter-Reformation. All of this comes to a head in what is undoubtedly Veronese's best work, best known work rather, and one that signaled the alarms of the Inquisition in Venice, a painting called The Feast in the House of Levi. So what does all this mean? I know, it's a lot to unpack, and it all starts with what is called the Protestant Reformation, or simply the Reformation, a large-scale religious movement that really picked up in 1517 when the German priest Martin Luther published his famous 95 Theses, a document which essentially ridiculed the practices of the Catholic Church and ultimately led to the varieties of Protestant Christianity that manifests today. As such, you have your Protestants, Lutherans, etc., right? Luther, Martin Luther, Lutherans, and denominations after other reformists who followed this example, for for example, John Calvin, and you see the rise of Calvinism. The core principle to these ridicules, these theses, was that redemption came through faith alone, not prostration, ceremony, or practices such as the purchasing of indulgences, indulgences being certificates that you could buy to reduce your time in purgatory for your worldly sins. Wild, I know. By 1534, Luther had translated the Bible into German, that's important, and this was groundbreaking move away from the Catholic Church who used the Latin version called the Vulgate or the Vulgate. As such, Luther brought the supposed written word of God to the German people in their own language, which helped give traction to his movement. The Catholic Church had to respond to this in the fear that faith was being lost in their doctrine. The Council of Trent was that reply, and it took place in three parts from 1545 to 1563. We understand that the Reformation was kicked off by Martin Luther. The Council of Trent then kicks off the Counter-Reformation, in which the Catholic Church sought to address criticism and, more importantly, codify and legislate the official stance of the church on matters that seemed loose or unclear, namely in the purpose and function of their religious practices, as well as the role of art in religious spaces. The Counter-Reformation looked to redefine art production and strictly impose new rules and regulations around the devotional function of religious imagery in the second half of the 16th century. Cue the Inquisition, a relatively famous historical 
let's say, circumstance that was made even more famous by the gruesome and murderous Spanish Inquisition. Keep in mind, two monarchs, uh, two monarchs that we have already spoken about a lot, Philip II of Spain, Charles V, the Holy Roman Emperor, supported Catholic cause against the Protestant Reformation. Now, I want to be clear that Inquisitions have roots in the Middle Ages, but really get scary after the deliberate and organized attempts of the Catholic Church to hold religious dominance in light of the Protestants, and to, ironically, show themselves as not vain heretics. So, the Roman Inquisition, as it's called, had the sole purpose of rooting out and eliminating heresy, including Protestants, but also within Catholic institutions, punishing the so-called guilty via imprisonment, torture, or even execution. In our Halloween special last year, I told the story of the witch trials of Triora that is exactly related to this moment in history and the Roman Inquisition. And finally comes the foundation of the Venetian Holy Inquisition. Remember, Venice was renewed under the Renovatio Orbis, but still expressed itself as a republic that was often far more secular in terms of how it treated its citizens than other spaces in Italy. Yet, through much negotiation, the minor council of the Savi Aleresia, the heresy sages, was founded. And aside, the holy offices of the Inquisition held their prisoners in cells near the Palazzo Ducale. Today, one of the most famous sites to see in Venice is called the Ponte dei Sospiri, or the Bridge of Sighs, which was built in 1614 by Antonio Contin, who was the nephew of Antonio dal Ponte, the architect who designed the famous Rialto Bridge that spans the Grand Canal. The Bridge of Sighs, you can always find at least 500 people standing in the way, taking pictures of it at any given time in Venice. It connects the Palazzo Ducale with the new prison and would often traffic prisoners of the Inquisition to their cells and often give them their last view of daylight. So, crossing the bridge, they sigh. The Bridge of Sighs, okay? Yes, we're really talking the 1570s, but this is still in full swing by 1614 when this bridge is built. Okay, because the Counter-Reformation is part of how we arrive at the new style that we call Baroque art, which is in the 1600s. So, when the Inquisition established in Venice by 1547, artists had to be very careful when painting religious subjects, often choosing between conforming to the wishes of the church or sometimes even ridiculing them if we can read between the lines. Paolo Veronese was born in Verona in 1528. He trained in Verona, even working alongside Jacopo Sansovino, right, the architect of the Zecca and the library, and he moved to Venice in 1553, meaning after the establishment of the Venetian Inquisition of 1547. His early style is considered in line with the mannerist painters of the day, inspired by these torquing anatomies of Michelangelo's Sistine Chapel frescoes, but 
he takes more after the highly colorful Venetian style established by Titian. See how all of these people are connected. Veronese had an extremely large body of work, including several ceiling paintings. He painted portraits, including one of Sansovino. In 1562, he painted one of his most famous works, The Wedding at Cana, an enormous canvas that is now in the Louvre with dozens of figures, an elaborate color scheme. These gigantic dinner scenes ultimately are what he becomes the most famous for, particularly the one of our discussion, the feast in the house of Levi, completed in 1573 for the refectory of Santi Giovanni and Paolo. Okay, so if he arrives there in 53, by 73, he's already had a 20-year career, and that is the painting we're landing on. So this was for the refectory. A refectory is a room in a religious or monastic complex where monks take their meals. As is tradition in Italy, you often find a Last Supper painted in them, such as Leonardo da Vinci's Last Supper is in a refectory in Milan. The painting by Veronese was intended and originally titled The Last Supper. Let's have a look at this. Christ is the central figure in the middle of three Roman arches, but this is not the serene and sort of daunting moment where Christ reveals his destiny to the apostles, where he does the body and the blood, but rather it's a chaotic party scene, a lavish outdoor banquet. This work is a technical masterpiece though, the perspective uses multiple vanishing points with Raphael-like balance and symmetry and composition, but a little more complicated. We're far away from those Venetian scenes of the Bellini that have this Mamluk, San Marco in Alexandria look, or showing processions through St. Mark's Square. Should we think back to Tintoretto, a slightly older contemporary of Veronese who even lives longer in his painting that details the finding of St. Mark that we discussed, those two show Roman architecture that by this period could recall the work that Sansovino was doing in St. Mark's Square. Still, this painting tells us why Veronese is known as a master colorist, giving us a dynamic composition that demonstrates imagination and invention, things the Inquisition does not want to see. They did not take too kindly to Veronese's artistic choices in this painting by any means. Remember, it is their job to sniff out and punish what the Council of Trent established as heresy in religious paintings, or really in general. On July 18th, 1573, only a couple months after this painting was put up, Veronese was summoned to the Holy Tribunal to endure inquisitorial interrogation. The transcription of this interrogation survives, like any court document would. And thanks to the beloved Khan Academy, who you should be familiar with if you like art history, we have a lovely English translation of it. Since it is genuinely very entertaining, I'm going to read their entire conversation for you. The Inquisitor asks, Do you know why you are summoned here? No, your honors. Can you imagine what the reason is? I can. 
tell us? Veronese says, I was told by the priest, or rather by the prior of Santissima Giovanni Paolo, whose name I don't know, told me that he had visited here and that your great lordships had commanded the Mary Magdalene replace the dog. I responded that I would have happily done this and anything else for my and the sake of the painting, except that I did not believe that the figure of the Magdalene would look good there, for a variety of reasons, which I can speak to if I'm given the chance. The Inquisition. What is the subject of the picture you are speaking of? Veronese, it's a painting of the Last Supper with Jesus Christ and his apostles in the house of Simon. Where is this picture? It's in the refectory of the monastery of Santissimi Giovanni e Paolo. Is it painted on the wall, on wood, or on canvas? Canvas? How tall is it? Perhaps 17 feet. How wide is it? About 39 feet. Have you painted servants at the Lord's Supper? Yes. Tell us how many people there are in each one's activities. Veronese says, Below the owner of the inn, Simon, I put a carver. He came, I guess, for his own amusement, to observe the goings-on at the table. There are many other figures, but I cannot remember. It's been a long time since I finished the painting. What was your intent regarding the man whose nose is bleeding? Veronese says, I intended him to be a servant whose nose was bloody because of some accident. And what did you mean by the armed man clothed like a German holding a halberd? Veronese says, that will take longer to explain. Tell us, they demanded. Veronese, painters take the same poetic license that poets and madmen take. And this is how I made these two soldiers, one drinking, the other eating, at the foot of the stairs, though both ready for prompt action. It seemed appropriate to me that the wealthy owner of this house, a noble, I understand, would have hired security such as these men. The Inquisition asks, and the figure dressed as a jester with a parrot perched on his hand? Why did you represent him? He is decorative, as is customary. Who are those at the Lord's table? The Twelve Apostles. What is St. Peter doing, the first one? He's carving lamb to pass it to the other side of the table. And who is the other man next to him? He holds a plate for St. Peter to fill. What is he doing? He's picking his teeth with a fork, Veronese responds. Who do you believe was at the Last Supper? The Inquisition asks, and Veronese says, Christ was there with his apostles, but there was more space, so I included other figures that I created. Did anyone tell you to paint Germans, jesters, or buffoons in this picture? No, I was told to create the painting as I thought fit. It was large and could accommodate numerous figures. The Inquisitors ask, Shouldn't painters only add figures in keeping with the subject in the most important people portrayed? Do you freely follow your imagination without restraint, without good judgment? Veronese responds, My paintings are made with all the consideration I can bring to bear on them. Do you think it's appropriate that the Last Supper of our Lord includes jesters, drunks, Germans, midgets, and the like? 
No, Your Honor. Do you not know that Germany and other places are infested with heresy and that in such place they commonly fill their paintings with sacrilegious images that denigrate the Holy Church and spread evil to the ignorant? Veronese responds, Your Honor, that would be evil. I can only repeat what I previously stated, that I have followed what others better than me have done. The inquisitors ask, what has been done by those better than you? Which things? Veronese responds, in the Pope's chapel in Rome, Michelangelo rendered our Lord Jesus Christ, his mother, St. John, and St. Peter, and the court of heaven, all nude, including the Virgin Mary, in the midst of movements without decorum. He's getting real smart here, people. The Inquisition responds, Don't you understand that in a painting of the Last Judgment, clothing would not be worn, that there is no reason to paint clothes? Among those figures, there is nothing except what benefits the spiritual. There are no jesters, no dogs, no weapons, or any such silliness. Do you think this comparison or any other that this example or any other justifies the way you painted your picture? And are you still certain that the painting appropriate to its subject? Veronese responds, Your Honor, I do not mean to defend it, but my intent was only good. I did not consider these issues enough, thinking that since the buffoons were outside the place where our Lord sits, it was proper. That's the end of the transcript. I hope you enjoyed that as I enjoyed reading it. I felt like Cloud Frollo from the Hunchback of Notre Dame reading the questions of the Inquisitors. <laughs> Veronese was not ultimately harmed, but he had to change the painting in accordance with the will of this new doctrine and had to do so at his own expense. He was clever enough to simply just rename the painting from the Last Supper to the Feasts at the House of Levi, the title that we came in from, right? Based on a biblical passage from the book of Luke where Christ dines with the sinners in the house of Levi. Thus, having decentered the subject matter from one of the most important biblical scenes and justified the presence of Germans and buffoons the Inquisition left Veronese alone. So he was able to take their concerns, the actual subject matter, and convert the meaning of the painting to accommodate them as opposed to painting them all out. And right, he said it was 17 feet tall at least. This is a gigantic piece. He would not have been able to paint them out and to make a composition that was as balanced and harmonious as it is. And now, of course, as we said, these issues with Germans and buffoons, right? their concerns are in line with this entire historical moment, especially the, the issues about Germans being present in the painting. If we recall Martin Luther, the German affiliation with the Reformation, right? Um, it's inappropriate for religious space in Venice at the time. And yes, many of these figures are strange to find in a Last Supper, a work which is meant to inspire religious reflection in a refectory while the monks take their meals, while they eat, as opposed to entertainment, which it provides more than religious reflection. And I do find it 
brilliantly odd. The holy apostle of Christ picking his teeth in between the two columns on the left. Yeah, one might pick their teeth at a meal, but this lacked a central component to counter Reformation art. That is decorum or the representation of holy figures in tasteful and noble manners. Surely not teeth picking. So the question comes, is Veronese cleverly trying to antagonize religious Puritanism by creating these figures as such? Was this his goal? Or did he just so happen to have the unfortunate circumstance of not reading his cultural moment? And I have to add, they mention the man with the nosebleed. I cannot for the life of me find him. So did he just changed the title. I know he adds the title in writing on one of the pillars. Did he paint out the nosebleed because that was an easy fix? Or is it there? As you find people, look over this work listening to this. If you find the nosebleeder, contact me immediately through Facebook, email, Instagram, all linked in the show notes. Get a hold of me because I need to find this nosebleeder. It's driving me insane. Surely, Veronese was a prolific artist among what are considered the great three of Venetian painters of the High Renaissance, Titian, Veronese, and Tintoretto, all of which we have now covered either in extreme or average detail. I want to reinforce the point that the Inquisitors were often more concerned with the religious art specifically and the function it was meant to have as opposed to the secular or profane art, mythological scenes, private commissions, etc. Still, artists were subject to this as the church was still among the largest patrons in the time and directly connected to many societal or even republic commissions as well and even a private nobility can commission work for the church non-clergy that would be subject to inquisitorial um, investigation that means that it was inevitable for artists to have to learn to navigate the inquisitors and veronese did so with such coyness and with such Poise, I would say. This is by no means the very last word on the Venetian Renaissance, but it is the end of this run of episodes before we reroute and look elsewhere in Italy when the Italian Renaissance podcast returns. With that, I leave you all with your many brilliant thoughts on this painting. I want to thank you all for joining me on this exciting journey all the way back to Jacopo Bellini, to the Ottoman Empire, to the courts of England, and now, full circle, to that dreaded Inquisition in Venice. Keep the conversation around this going by joining us on our various social media accounts, all linked in the show notes. Help me continue to build this community around our shared love for the Italian Renaissance. Until next time, arrivederci.